0: Well, good morning, church. Glad to see you here today. Go ahead and take your seats if you would. Especially glad to see those of you that are visiting with us this morning. Kids did a wonderful job. I think they maybe sang out better than any group we've ever had. They did a great job. You give them a hand. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, I want to bring you a message entitled, the de- delays of love. This morning I'm going to talk about the most difficult problem that you have to face as a Christian. If we had the time, it might be interesting this morning to conduct a little poll to find out what you think that greatest problem is. But I agree with Ray Stedman who says the most difficult thing to handle as a Christian is when God does not do what I've been taught to expect him to do when God gets out of line and he does not act the way he ought to. Sometimes you may think that God just doesn't care about you. In fact, sometimes it seems the circumstances of your life don't seem to allow for any other explanation. When you're being torn apart by the events of your life, It's very difficult to believe that God's silences and his delays are really evidences of his love. And yet, they often are. Our story begins this morning with a problem. The problem is that Lazarus is sick. In fact, he's dying. This is a problem that we can all identify with for Death intrudes into all our lives and we find those that are closest to us snatched from our sides by accident or sickness ending in death. In such moments, some question the presence of God. Others, even those who do not doubt the love of God and his faithfulness, find those times a real test to their faith. What are we to think in such circumstances? What should we do? Well, there's probably no better example of what we're to do in the entire Bible than the example that's given to us by Martha and Mary in John chapter 11. I want to take just a few moments to get us acquainted with that family because it is a family that is very close to the heart of Jesus. Perhaps Jesus' closest friends, earthly friends, whose company he most enjoyed, whose home was the most comfortable to him, and who he loved to be around, were three siblings who lived together in the town of Bethany, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Now, Lazarus was apparently a quiet man, for the Gospels do not record him saying anything, Those of you who are quiet people like Lazarus sometimes think that you contribute little, if anything, to the kingdom of God, but Lazarus would prove you wrong. Later in this chapter, we'll look on as Lazarus dies and is raised again to life by Jesus. It seems that Lazarus' witness for Jesus was so strong... That the enemies of Jesus decided not only to kill Jesus, but to kill Lazarus also. Apparently, Lazarus made a big difference just by showing the world what a difference Jesus made in his life. Martha was another member of the family. She is made famous by Luke's record of an earlier meeting in their home in Luke chapter 10. Jesus was there. And Martha was working herself to death, trying to care for her guests, while Mary, her sister, just sat listening to Jesus teach. Finally, Martha had enough, and she went to Jesus, and she complained and said, please make Mary help me. Martha's complaint was all about what she was doing. She says, my sister is not doing anything, and she has left me To do all the work. Jesus pointed out to Martha that Mary was doing the best thing. She was spending time with him. It was Mary that later would anoint the feet of Jesus with oil. Every member of the family was special, they served Jesus in their own way. Lazarus was a quiet witness, Martha was an individual who provided practical service to Jesus. And Mary gave the gift of her complete devotion to Jesus. So surely we think that people like that, people that are so important to Jesus, can surely count on special treatment from him, right? And then Lazarus falls sick and he dies. What do we think now? Well, first of all, we need to note even the, those that Jesus loves get sick. Now, a certain man, verse 1, was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. And then verse number 3, Therefore his sister sent to him, that is to the Lord, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. I wonder just a little bit if the sisters themselves were surprised that this was happening to their family. You'll notice in the text it says that the message they sent said, Lord, behold, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, some English translation live, leave out the word behold, but it is there in the Greek. I think it expri- that it exp- expresses surprise that this is happening to their family and if if that's what they thought and perhaps it is they should not have been surprised we're told twice in this text that the lord loved lazarus and his sisters so we are forced to note that sickness comes into every home even including those whom jesus loves Although Jesus loved Lazarus, it did not prevent his sickness. You know, this refutes a popular but erroneous teaching in our day that it is always God's will for every believer to be healthy and wealthy. This spiritually destructive heresy entices those who are suffering suffering from disease or poverty, that if they will just believe in Jesus, if they'll just believe in Jesus, he'll provide for them in miraculous ways, usually predicated on giving to the false teacher's ministry. If, however, the healing doesn't come, then they teach it's because of your lack of faith that you did not receive a healing. It's hard to conceive of a doctrine that is more harmful, and heartless. So does that mean that believers have no advantage over unbelievers? No. Christians have the privilege of prayer. The sisters of Lazarus in their home take that need to the Lord Jesus. First of all, I want you to know they made their need known. No doubt the sisters had already done everything humanly possible for their brother, they had given their brother whatever medicines were available at the time. They no doubt had consulted with a physician. But we really aren't doing everything that we can do for those that we love until we pray. Christians should make use of medical care, whatever's available. But we should never forget to make our needs known to the Lord. The psalmist says in Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. Notice also the basis on which they made their request. They didn't make their request on the basis of how much they loved the Lord or how much Lazarus loved the Lord, but on the basis of his love for them. The sisters did not say, Lord, he who loves you is sick although it is of course true that Lazarus loved Jesus but rather they said lord he whom you love is sick i think it's comforting that our requests are not made on the basis of our love for the lord as weak as that may be but rather is made on the basis of his love for us that is not to say that we don't love the Lord, but just to say, just a recognition that not in a million years could we lo- our love for him be as great as his love is for us. And third, I want you to notice they didn't tell Jesus what to do. Now, we can't deny that implied in their request, they assumed that Jesus would do one of two things. He will either come as quickly as he can or he will send word by messenger that he's coming shortly. But that's not what happened. They did not claim Lazarus' healing by faith. They did not command Jesus to do anything. They did not command Jesus to come and heal their brother. We know the word of faith In our day, teaches people that we can command God to carry out our wishes like God is some kind of a personal genie. They say, just speak the word and it will become so. That's utter nonsense and presumption on an astronomical scale. To believe that you can command the God of the universe to do anything. What we need to do is recognize that God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. In verse 4 it says when Jesus heard that he said this sickness is not unto death but the glory of God the son of God may be glorified through it. Now at first glance that may cause us to question whether Jesus really knew what the situation was here. After all, just two days later, Jesus is going to tell his disciples that Lazarus is dead. How can Jesus now say that Lazarus is not sick unto death? The answer is based on Jesus' power and on his intention to raise Lazarus to life again. Whatever affliction the Lord may be pleased to allow us to endure, Jesus knows that it doesn't lead to death, but it leads to eternal life. There is a resurrection awaiting every believer. Even our bodies will be raised to life again. Whenever a Christian dies, fellow believers can and should respond by saying, this does not lead to death. He or they will be raised. This verse would answer all those who state that sickness is never the will of God for a believer. Those who would say it is wrong for him to be sick, that is due to a lack of faith on their part or because of some hidden sin or because of the judgment of God. But the words of Jesus about Lazarus are unmistakable. Not all sickness is a sign of unbelief or a lack of faith. Such a position is not only unscriptural, but hurtful and dangerous. Thank you, Malachi. Not only do those who even Jesus loves get sick, but secondly, God's timing is frequently different from ours. It says in verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, you ought to take a pen or a pencil and, underline or circle that word in your your text so so when he heard that he was sick he stayed two more days in the place where he was and then after this he said to the disciples let us go to Judea again verse 5 begins by telling us that Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters and then verse 6 begins with a connecting word so or in the Kings James version therefore Or we might translate it with the word because. As hard as it is to conceive, the Bible says that it was because Jesus loved this family that he did not immediately make his way to Bethany. Now it seems incredible to us that although Jesus loved this family, he did not hurry to Bethany, but rather stayed two more days where he was. Likewise, we sometimes find ourselves in a situation where we have found ourselves in trouble and we fire off a prayer, but it doesn't seem like God heard us. At those times, we're tempted to think that God just doesn't care about us. The circumstances at the time may not even seem like they allow for any other explanation. When you're being ravaged by those things that are going on in your life it's difficult to believe that god's silences and his delays can be for our good yet when we examine his decision and attacks to wait it may seem like a heartless response to the urgent cry of his beloved friends but it's not have you ever prayed and expected god to do something but and you thought he would or that he should only to have him wait or delay in his response what did that do to your faith what is it doing right now you may be waiting for your spouse to change or your kids to respond differently maybe you're waiting for someone to forgive you or you're waiting for them to accept your forgiveness what are you waiting for God to do according To what timetable have you expected him to work? How has it or how is it affecting your faith? Has your faith been based on what you think God should do and will do? Kent Hughes says, from ground level it sometimes appears to us that even though we are Christ's children and we love him, he doesn't care about us anymore. At times, humanly speaking, our circumstances seem to admit no other interpretation. When a child dies in his mother's arms as she cries out to God for help and the ambulance lies stalled two blocks away, we wonder if God cares. When a Christian is falsely accused and pleads with God to bring the evidence to clear them, And it is only after that their their reputation is ruined that the evidence comes. We wonder if God cares. When we plan some great thing for God and the whole thing falls through, we wonder if God cares. We must be honest and admit that at ground level there are times when it's very hard to believe in the goodness of God what we find in John chapter 11 elevates our perspective. It explains to Christians that no matter how it may appear, these unexplained delays are delays of God's love. We're reminded that the Lord works in our lives according to his timetable and according to to his principles and purposes. He loves us so much that he's willing to do What needs to be done rather than what we want him to do. No set of circumstances, including God's seeming silence and delays, are evidence of his abandonment. We seem to be drawn over and over to Paul's reassurance found in Romans chapter 8 where he says, Who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes on for the next few verses noting that nothing in this world or in the next will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. Our death or of our loved ones, even if it should be sooner than we expect, does not reflect unfavorably on Jesus' concern for us. And then we need to note that God is more concerned about our character than he is about our comfort. Why then does God allow adversity in our lives? That is a question that we all ask, why? Well, we ought to believe because John says Jesus loved Martha and his sisters and Lazarus. Part of the purpose was changes that Jesus wanted to make in the character, in the character and lives of Lazarus and his sisters. Jesus wanted Lazarus to be a witness of his divine glory. And for that to happen, it required that he be raised from the dead. He wanted to see Martha's attitude transformed so that her service came from devotion rather than duty and obligation. And as for Mary, he wanted to continue to deepen her faith how her faith must have surged when her brother came walking out of that tomb. Not only is God's timing frequently different than ours, but even when God says no, it is for our good. Have you ever prayed for something or someone expecting God would or should answer favorably only to have him say no? Have you prayed that your marriage would be restored and had it end? Have you ever asked God to heal someone only to see them die? Have you asked God to change someone's heart only to watch them fall deeper and deeper into rebellion? Have you asked for God to restore a friendship only to have that door slammed in your face? How is that and how is that affecting your faith? Martha and Mary must have been clearly mystified as to why Jesus is taking so long in getting back to Bethany. If not to cure Lazarus, at least to be with the family and to comfort them. They probably went outside every hour to see if the Lord was approaching. And then they go back into the house where Lazarus was. And Lazarus would be slipping slowly more and more away from them each time. They go back out to look again for Jesus. Each day they watch the road looking for Jesus to come. One day comes and goes, no Jesus. Second day comes and goes, no Jesus. These four days have been especially difficult for them. But then Jesus came. In John chapter 11, verse 17, it says, So when Jesus came, he found he, that is Lazarus, had been in the tomb Four days. Now, some people suggest that the reason that Jesus delayed his coming was that he wanted Lazarus to die. After all, a resurrection is a greater display of God's power than a healing. I think it's hardly likely that Jesus would have put his friends through that kind of trauma simply in order to accomplish a greater. Miracle, as opposed to a lesser miracle. I don't think that's consistent with the character of Jesus. Leon Morris explains it this way. When Jesus finally gets to Bethany, Lazarus has been dead for four days. It would have taken the messengers a day to walk from Bethany to the region beyond Jordan where Jesus and his friends were. Then there were the two days after this that Jesus remained there, and it would have taken him and his companions yet another day for their journey to Bethany. What does all that mean? It's clear that Lazarus must have been dead by the time the messengers arrived to tell Jesus. Indeed, Jesus said that was so in verse 24. There is no question of delaying until Lazarus should die, he was dead. And when when Jesus got the message and the delay was only in order that he waited for the right time. I want to close this morning with an illustration. Stories told that a woman was overwhelmed with grief. As she approached her church on Sunday morning after her mother had died that week. Just outside the door... A seven-year-old boy met her, and with tearful eyes, he looked up at her, and he said, I prayed for your mother, but she died. And for a moment, that grieving woman wanted just to hug him and to cry with him, but she could see that he was sincerely disturbed because he thought his prayers had not been answered. And so she silently prayed for wisdom, and then she said to the boy, You wanted God to do his best for my mother, didn't you? And he nodded slowly. Well, God answered your prayer. His best for her was to take her home to live with him. The boy's eyes brightened, and he replied, That's right, he did. And then he ran off to meet with his friends, content that God had taken her to heaven. This sin... It's life. Death we all experience, but for the Christian, it doesn't lead to death. It leads to eternal life. Let's pray. When we experience those struggles in life, Father, we're comforted to know. That the same thing can be said unto us of us as is said about Lazarus. This, sin, this sickness does not lead to death. Death may be a door for us, but it is a door that leads to eternal life. I pray for those here the, in this place today that might not have a personal relationship with you. They don't have in their heart the assurance that they have a place in heaven. I pray this morning that they would understand that they are sinners, just like all the rest of us, and that that sin separates between us and the holy and righteous God. But that Jesus came and lived a sinless life, went to the cross and paid the penalty not for his sin but for our sin, and that all we need to do is accept that payment that he made on the cross. And heaven is ours. From this moment on, we know that we belong to you. We're a part of your family. And we're headed for heaven. If there's one here that needs to do that this morning, then, Lord, I pray that you speak to their heart. I pray you speak to every believer here, some of who have been tested this week. And maybe they've been tempted this week to think that you don't care about them. Help them to understand that your delays and even your silences do not mean that you do not love us. You have a purpose for us and through everything that is in our lives. Father, we pray that our lives and our testimonies would bring glory to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.